Welcome to the Christ Walk Podcast. At Christ Walk Church, we exist to inspire people to follow Jesus every day. Enjoy the message. Guys, excited about kicking off this new series today. If you've got your Bible or you've got a smart device with you, I want to encourage you to turn with me or swipe with me to the Old Testament, to the book of Haggai. And so um, the, the Bible is divided up, in case you weren't aware, the Bible is divided up into these two large sections. You've got the Old Testament at the beginning, and the New Testament is that second big chunk of Scripture. And so we're going to spend some time today in the Old Testament, um, in the book of Haggai. And, and if you don't know where Haggai is, maybe you're using a paper Bible, and it's a very small book, and you're used to maybe like flipping right over it, just go to the end of the Old Testament to a book called Malachi, or as a lot of the kids called it when I was a kid's pastor, they would say Malachi. And I'm like, no, not Malachi. It's actually pronounced Malachi. So find Malachi and then back up two books and you'll be right there in Haggai. And we're going to look at chapter one and we'll be there at verse five. We're going to jump in there in just a minute. But before we do, I got to know how many of you have ever tried to use something only to find out that it was out of order? Anybody? Anybody ever done that? Like maybe you went up to a vending machine and like I can remember when I was a kid, I would get some quarters from my dad and I'd go to the vending machine and I'd put the quarter in and then it would just come right back. Like it it wouldn't take it and it would fall in the little, you know, like the little return change slot and I would just do that and it was this vicious cycle over and over and over. And then I got a little bit older and they started giving you the ability to add, um, you know, to, to insert paper money. So dollar bills into the machine and you would stick it in and it would spit it back out and you'd stick it in and it would spit it back out and you'd take it and you'd like find like the edge of a table, you know, or something and you'd try to like, you know, rub it on there to get it all straight and smooth and you'd be sure all the corners weren't bent and you'd stick it in and it would spit it back out and then finally it would take it and then you'd press, you know, A4 and the little corkscrew would start spinning and your chips would come and they would get hung between the corkscrew and the glass and there you'd be, Right? Or maybe like maybe you've gone to like a big office building before, you know, or, or, or a hotel or whatever, and you see um, you've got to get to the, the 12th floor or the 20th floor or whatever, and you walk up to the elevator and it says, out of order, please use the stairs. And you're like, well, I didn't really need to get up there that bad. Like, I guess I'll just go on back home, you know, or whatever. Or, or maybe, maybe like you've been in the car before and, and your, your fuel light has come on and you've driven around for 12 days um, after that's happened. And on the last bit of fumes that are in the tank, you've managed to sputter and buck um, into the gas station parking lot only to roll up to the pump to find out that it has one of those plastic sleeves over it that says out of order. And you're like, I'm gonna have to Fred Flintstone this thing like to the next, you know, yabba-dabba-doo. And you're calling your friends and they're like, hey, can you come down to the gas station and help me push this bad boy? And they're like, we're, we're not friends anymore. Yeah, we don't. Um, or or maybe, maybe like you've shown up at a restroom before. I'm just gonna leave that one alone. I'm not even gonna, not even gonna go there. Not even gonna go there. There's, there's a story that no one wants to hear. It's not ordained of the Lord. Um, simply put, when something is out of order, the result is it's a missed opportunity for that thing to be accessed or to be utilized to its full potential. 
And here's what I've discovered in my life as a Christian in my reading of the scriptures. I've discovered that, that the God of the Bible, the God that we spend time talking about each and every week here at Christ Walk, the God that those of us who have put our faith in Jesus Christ, the God that we serve, that he is a God of order. And you and I, we have to look no further than the very first chapter of the very first book of the Bible. We look at the creation narrative there in Genesis chapter one, and we see that God is a God of order. Right off the bat, he's establishing things and putting them in place according to his character and his design as a God of order. But something else that I've noticed is that a lot, of, a, a lot of people, I think that God looks out on his people. And, and a lot of us, um, we're in a position where, where though God wants to utilize us, though he wants to bless us, he wants to give us even more, he wants to do even more in our lives, something even greater, that he looks out on his people only to find that, that their lives, that our lives aren't in the right order. And one of the primary ways that you and I can get things out of whack and out of order is in the realm of our finances. But what if there was a way to get things back in order? Like, what if there was something that we could do? If, 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 it's, if it's out of order, then clearly that means that there's something that can be done to fix it and to get it back in order. What if there was a way that you and I could live so that God could maximize our potential and that we could realize the fullness of the blessing that he wants to bestow in our lives? And, and I happen to believe that there is a way to get things back in order when it comes to our finances. And that's exactly what this series is all about. And so over the next three weeks together, we're going to talk about the what, the how, and the why behind putting God first in our lives, particularly when it comes to our money. And, and now before you tune me out this morning, please like, Hear my heart. Look, I realize that this is an awkward, uncomfortable, somewhat controversial subject for a lot of people. But back almost two years ago when I became the pastor of this church, one of the very first things that I promised you is that I would not shy away from preaching and teaching on things that were awkward or uncomfortable or even controversial. And I want to honor that promise today and over the next few weeks. And beyond that, I realized that nobody woke up this morning and was getting ready for church and was thinking, you know what? I hope he talks about money today. Like that would just be a really great way to, in fact, like nobody said that. You probably all thought the exact opposite. Like I hope he talks about anything but money today. But I feel like we need to talk about it nonetheless. And you need to understand that I'm not preaching this series because the church is in some sort of financial trouble and that we need you to give in order to bail us out. In fact, it's quite the opposite. We're doing pretty well financially and everything is moving up and to the right. And I'm excited about that. Um, but this comes from a place where I just want you to experience the blessings of the Lord in your life. And, and as a matter of fact, like not only, um, not only is the church not in financial trouble and, and we need you to bail us out, as long as I'm the pastor here, it is, it is my, with my best of intentions that we're never going to ask anyone to give one dime at all. We'll never ask you to give, but we will give you the opportunity 
to give regularly and consistently so that you can cultivate that lifestyle of generosity and and build that into your life. Because I believe, and, and I've discovered in my own life and in the lives of those around me that have lived this way, that it's that kind of lifestyle that the Lord most richly blesses. So please do hear my heart this morning. We're not preaching this because we want something from you. I'm preaching this because I want something for you. As your pastor, more, what I want more than anything is for each and every person that calls this church home is to realize the fullness of God's blessing in their life. And for many of us, the one thing that is standing in the way of us seeing that to be fully realized is just a few tweaks we need to make in regard to how we handle our money, how we address our finances so that we can get things more in tune and aligned with God's word and find things in proper order. So with that said, let's jump in together to Haggai chapter one, and we're going to start with verse five. Haggai chapter one, verse five. My Bible reads this way. This is what the Lord all-powerful says. Think about what you've done. You have planted much, but you harvest little. You eat, but you do not become full. You drink, but you are still thirsty. You put on clothes, but you are not warm enough. You earn money, but then you lose it all as if you had put it into a purse full of holes. Verse seven, this is what the Lord all-powerful says. Think about what you've done. Go up to the mountains and bring back wood and build the temple. And then I will be pleased with it and be honored, says the Lord. You look for much, but you find little. And when you bring it home, I destroy it. Why, asked the Lord all-powerful? Because you work hard for your own houses while my house is still in ruin. Verse 10, because of what you've done, the sky holds back its rain and the ground holds back its crops. I have called for a time without rain on the land and on the mountains and on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, the plants, which the earth produces, the people, the farm animals, and all the work of your hands. So before we move any further today, let me, let me explain a little bit about what's going on here in chapter one of the book of Haggai um, so that we can all be on the same page and understand, give a little context here. So the people of Israel, they had been in captivity by the, uh, under, under the, the rule of the nation of Babylon for a number of years. And in 538 BC, they're actually uh, able to escape that captivity. They're, they're able to come back to their homeland and, and re-inhabit the land and everything. And so that's what's taking place here. And, and two years later, they began to do work rebuilding the temple. But as they began to rebuild the temple in 536 BC, um, they began to succumb to both negative social influences along with political adversity in the nation. And they started to shift their focus from utilizing their gifts to serve the Lord, their resources to see the Lord's house be rebuilt. And instead they shifted that focus to begin to focus on themselves. And now we fast forward 17 years. So 17 years has gone by and God raises up a prophet in the land by the name of Haggai and he sends him to the people to deliver this message that we have just read. And so basically what Haggai is alerting the people to is he's saying, because of your self-centeredness, because you've chosen to focus on yourself, here's what's happened to you. 
He's wanting to be sure that they realize it. Here, here's what God has allowed to happen because you've been so self-centered and because you focused on yourself. He says, you've been working hard, but experiencing limited results. He says, you're unsatisfied, you're ungratified, and your needs are going unmet. And on top of that, you're experiencing a depletion of money. Unexpected expenses are arising and there's a shortage of food in the land. In short, what had happened is, is they had begun, begun to operate in their lives from a deficit mentality. They'd begun to operate from a deficit mentality. And a deficit mentality is the viewpoint, it's the mindset that there is never enough that no matter what we have, it's never good enough. That no matter the blessings that God does give us, we're never satisfied by it. No matter what produce, what, what we are able to produce, no matter what we are able to bring forth from the ground, no matter what we are able to earn, that, that we're never satisfied with that. We always want something different. We always want something more. There's never enough. Does this sound familiar to anybody? Like this is the world in which we live today. Just, just look around at our culture and our society. And, and the truth is, is that a lot of us, we don't even have to look that far. For, for some of us, this sort of thing is taking place right in our very own households because just like the Israelites in the day of Haggai, we've managed to get things out of order. Now, I want you to do something. Turn to your neighbor and look them in the eye and say, God didn't intend for you to live paycheck to paycheck. All right, now turn to your second choice, the person you value only slightly less. <laughs> turn to them and say, God wants you to be blessed more than you can imagine. And I believe both of those statements are true. But the question is, how do we get to that place? How do we get to that place? If both of those things are true, then how do we see those things become realized in our lives? And the good news is, is that the Bible has some clear answers to this question. And so let's take a look at some of these things and what the Bible has to say about this subject. We look at Malachi chapter three, not Malachi, it's Malachi <laughs> chapter three, verses six through 10. It says this, it says, I'm the Lord and I do not change. That is why you descendants of Jacob are not already destroyed. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. Now return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But you ask, how can we return to you when we've never gone away? And God says, should people cheat God? You have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? And the Lord says, you have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You are under a curse for your whole nation has been cheating me. In verse 10, he says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. So what he's talking about is, is the tithe and, and it's a word for the 10th. And we'll talk about that a little bit more in just a minute. But he's saying, bring all of these things, bring all of the tithes, the, the full tenth into my storehouse so that there will be food in the temple. And the storehouse was the temple of the day. It was the church. It was, it was this place. Bring all of the tithes to the local church so that there will be enough food in my temple. 
And if you don't do this, so, so the implication here is that they've cheated God because they haven't brought all the tithes into the storehouse. And so, so because of that, then the people are living under a curse. So what is this curse? Well, Haggai chapter one identified it. We, we just talked about it. It's, it's the fact that, that we work hard without reaping the benefit that there's a dissatisfaction and lack of fulfillment in our lives, that basic needs that we have are going unmet, that there's a depletion of resources, that we constantly find ourselves in the midst of shortage and lack, that maybe I'm talking to somebody this morning who lays in bed at night and and worries about whether or not they're gonna have enough money, worries about how they're going to be able to make ends meet and to take care of their families. Maybe I'm talking to a married couple this morning that constantly gets arguments, constantly gets in arguments with their spouse over money, which is number one, the number one cause of divorce in our country today is arguments, disagreements, and and the way that we handle our finances within marriage. This is all part of the curse. Maybe maybe it's someone, maybe I'm talking to someone today that's, that's fearful of losing everything. Maybe the, the words at the forefront of your vocabulary that you are constantly, constantly worried about and fearful of are things like foreclosure and repossession and bankruptcy. And maybe those terms and others like them have become a, a regular part of the vocabulary that you use on an everyday basis. And you need to know that if you find yourself in any of those situations that God did not intend for you to live that way. And there is a way for you to live that doesn't include any of that. There's a way for you to live that is so far above and so much more than any of those things. Am I tracking with anybody this morning? I'm connecting with you. But yet there's, there's two arguments, two arguments that I hear a lot of people use when it comes to our responsibility towards the tithe. Two arguments that people would use that, that would say, these are the reasons why I don't have to tithe. And you know what? You're right. You don't have to tithe. You can choose to live under the curse if you would like to. You don't have to tithe. And people will use these arguments as as a rationale and as a support for the reasons why they don't have to tithe. And the first one is, I don't have to tithe because it's an Old Testament concept. It's under the Old Covenant. It's part of the Old Testament law. And so I'm part of the New Testament and I'm under the New Covenant. And so therefore, I don't have to tithe because that was the Old Testament. This is the New Testament. But yet Jesus shows up on the scene in the New Testament. Jesus who came to not abolish the law of the Old Testament, but to completely fulfill it. And in, in Matthew chapter 23, he says this. He says, what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees? Hypocrites, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. Get this, Jesus says, you should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. So what's happening is, is the Pharisees, they were tithing and they were being sure that right down to the, to the smallest amount that they were tithing, but they were neglecting faith and, and justice and mercy. And he's saying, you can't have one without the other. It's not an either or, it's a both and. Yes, you should focus on faith and justice and mercy, but you should also tithe. 
Yes, you should tithe, but you should also focus on faith and justice and mercy. You have to have both if you're going to be my follower. He also says in in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so if it's true that that Jesus comes on the scene and and he is fulfilling the Old Testament law and not abolishing it, and he's telling the Pharisees, yes, you should tithe as well as focus on faith and justice and mercy. And Jesus also proclaims that that where our treasure is, there our heart will be also, then, then that implicates some things for us. Notice that it doesn't say that where our heart is, there our treasure is. That's not what Jesus says. No, he says our heart follows after our treasure. And so be it an Old Testament principle, a New Testament principle, or anywhere in between, if, if uh, where our treasure is is where our heart is, then, then that means that for God to have our whole heart, he must also have our money as well because our heart follows after our money. And if God doesn't have our money, then our heart cannot follow after him in the way that he intended So the first argument, I don't have to tie because it's an Old Testament concept. The second one, and I hear this one more often, I don't have enough to tithe. I don't have enough. I don't make enough. This is that deficit mentality that I talked about earlier. It's that I don't don't make enough to tithe. I I don't have enough wealth in order to be generous. And I've got news for some people this morning. If you're unwilling to be generous with $10 or $100, then you'll never be generous with $10,000 or $1 million. Because it's not a money issue. It's not an amount issue. It's a heart issue. And so if you're not being generous with what you've been given, what you've been blessed with to begin with, then you're never going to be generous down the road. And simply put, if if you believe that you don't have enough to tithe, then you also believe that God is not enough. If you believe that you don't have enough to tithe, then you believe that God is not enough. And here's what doesn't make sense to me. Why on earth would we trust God with our eternity, but refuse to trust him with our bank account? It doesn't make any sense. Our bank account, like we're not gonna take that stuff with us. It is, it is of just, it's of temporary value. It's something that's fleeting and it's here one day and it's gone the next and we won't trust him with that, but yet we will trust him with life everlasting. It's out of balance, it's out of whack, it's out of order. So then what do we do in order to get these things back in order? Well, we go back to the scriptures and we say, God, what does your word say for us? How can we go about this? And we look at Proverbs chapter three, verses nine and 10, that says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. And then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Now notice that it doesn't say, honor the Lord with all your wealth and the last fruits. No, it says, it says first fruits. That's order. That's an indication of God putting things in order. And, and here's what happens. If we honor him with our first fruits, then there's a blessing tied to it. It says your barns are going to be filled with plenty. Your vats will be overflowing with wine. But notice what doesn't happen. Our barns aren't plenty and our vats overflowing before we've honored God with our first fruits. It says honor God with your first fruits and then 
you will receive the blessing of your barns being full and your vats overflowing. We have to notice the order because God is a God of order. And this term first fruits from this particular passage, it's directly tied to this biblical concept of tithe that I mentioned earlier. Tithe, as I said, it means 10th. But specifically, it means first tenth. Because remember, order matters to God. Consider this. All the way back in the beginning of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, God required a sacrifice of the firstborn or the first fruits from Cain and Abel. And Abel brought to God a firstborn male lamb without spot or blemish. It was the best of his flock and he offered it to God and God accepted it. But the Bible says that Cain brought some of his fruit to God and offered it and God rejected it. What's the difference? Abel brought what was best, what was first, the prime, the choice, but Cain just brought some. There wasn't anything special about it. It wasn't the best that he had to offer. And so God accepted Abel's offering, but he rejected Cain's offering. We fast forward a little bit to the book of Exodus. God's giving instructions for the Passover feast. And he tells the people of Israel, the Passover lamb must be a firstborn male lamb without blemish. We look on through the historical documentation throughout the Bible of, of the generations of the nation of Israel and how the fathers would pass down the blessing to their children and the blessing from the father was always passed down through the lastborn? No, through the firstborn. We see that Jesus himself was the firstborn and he was the one and only of God the Father. He was the firstborn to Mary and Joseph. And then we look at the, the 10 commandments and we find that the first of the 10 commandments that God gave Moses for the people of Israel teach us that we should have no other gods before Yahweh, that he alone should be first. And so God is, is focused on first, simply put, because he's a God of order and he demands that in all things, he be first. And whether you realize that or not, and whether you're willing to put him in that place or not, you better believe that he's gonna have that place. When it's all said and done, he will be first. He's going to get his. He is the God of the universe. He is the creator of all. He's in control. He's in charge. And he will be first. Either now or later, he's going to be first in your life. And the truth of the matter is, is that it's not trust if what we give unto the Lord comes out of what's left over, if it comes out of what's remaining, out of what's last, if, if we don't give unto God until after the bills are paid, until after the groceries are bought, until after the car is filled up with gas, no, that's not how we operate. We give God first because God is a God of order and he demands that he be first in our life. So we give to him first before any of those other things. Let me show you what I mean. Sarah's gonna come and help me. Everybody give Sarah a hand. My beautiful wife. The stage just improved like a million percent. So we've got two tables here, right? And, and one table... represents 
God's table. And the other table represents our table, all right? God's table, our table. And so we're supposed to bring the tithe into the storehouse, this, this tenth, and, and it's, it's the first tenth. But here's how a lot of us operate. We, we get our produce. So this is, this is what we're able to, to harvest, what we're able to produce from the ground. And in, in Bible times, um, God would have been speaking specifically about um, fruits and vegetables that were brought forth from the ground or flocks or livestock. For, for us, it would, it, would be, um, you know, it would be our paycheck. It would be the things that we bring home, the resources that God has entrusted to us and blessed us with. But since this series is called First Fruits and we're talking about fruits um, I figured that I would just use, use this illustration utilizing fruit. It, it could very easily be utilized um, with, with dollar bills or, or whatever. But so we've got this fruit. And so a lot of us, we, we start out like this and, and, and we bring home what we bring home. And then one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. We bring home the things that we get from our paycheck, from our jobs, and that goes to pay the mortgage and the car payment and we pay for our kids' braces and, you know, we, we pay the credit card bill and we pay for cable and internet and all of those things. And then at the end of all of that, if there happens to be anything left over, well, then maybe, just maybe, we might give God a little bit. And the sad part of this is, is that... Um, Overall, Christians, people that have placed their hope and their trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they're trusting him for their eternity. On average, Christians give about two and a half percent of their income. They, they return about two and a half percent of their income back to the Lord. And what we fail to realize is that two and a half percent just isn't going to cut it. It's 10 percent. That's not the ceiling. That's the floor. God says what is mine is the tithe, to bring that into the storehouse. It is the, it's not just a tenth, it's the first tenth because God is a God of order and order matters. So we don't give to God after it's all said and done. And if we happen to have 10% left over, no, we step out in faith and trust and we give him the first 10%, trusting him to bless the rest. So when we get paid and we bring home our paycheck, the first tenth, goes to God, and then we get to live on the rest. We get a little more, and what happens? We give first to God, and then we believe him to bless the rest. We give the first tenth to God, and then we believe in him to bless the rest. Say it with me. We give the first tenth to God and we believe him to bless the rest. You, you see what's happening here? We give the first tenth to God because he's first and we give him the first tenth and we believe him, on him to, to bless the rest. We give God the, the first tenth and then we believe on him to bless the rest. We give God the first tenth, and we believe on him to bless the rest. First, we give God what is his, the first tenth, 
And then we believe on him to bless what is rest, what, what's left, the rest. First, we give God his, because he's a God of order. And first, we give God what is his, and we believe on him to bless what's left. I'm not even sure what this is. Someone says it's a mango. The sticker doesn't tell, oh, the sticker does. It says mango in really tiny, tiny letters. All I know is, is that first we give God what's his and we believe on him to bless what is left, to bless the rest. Do you see what's happening here? Do you see what this looks like? Do you see the, the mindset that we have developed, the difference? Like, like, look at how much we have. Look at how much God has blessed us with already. Yet, we tend to be so caught up and concerned about what's right here. Thank you, honey. Let's give her a hand. Look at how much we have, but, but yet we're, we're caught up and, and our focus is this right here. And what happens is, is, is that because, because we're, we're so, we're so hell bent on, on holding on to this and keeping our fists closed so tightly a, a, a around this, that, that God's unable to bless this other part over here. And God's just saying, look, if you'd get your hands off my mangoes <laughs> or my bananas or my peaches, if you'd let go of what is mine, then I would be able to bless even more what I've already given you. But yet we, we don't allow that to happen because we're just so focused on, I gotta keep this right here. Do you see how ridiculous this seems? Look at all this we have over here to work with, but yet we're just, we're focused on this right here. No, God, no, no, no. And God's saying, if you would let go of what is mine, because I'm going to be first, then I would bring a blessing. In fact, he, he, he says it in his word in, in, in Malachi 3, like we read the first part of that. We, we read up to, up to verse, the, the beginning of verse 10 where, where God says, you, you've been robbing me. You've been cheating me because you haven't br brought the, the whole tithe into the storehouse. You haven't brought it into the temple. And so you're under a curse. And in verse 10, God says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. But it doesn't just stop there. He says, if you do, and I love when God starts out sentences like that. If you do, in other words, if you'll be obedient to me and be obedient to my word, then something great is about to happen. And watch what he says. He says right there in verse 10, if you do bring all the tithes into the storehouse, if you do this, says the Lord of the heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. We won't know what to do with it all. It's gonna be so much. He says, try it, put me to the test. Here's what's gonna happen. Your crops will be abundant for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. And then all nations will call you blessed for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. And how many of us are missing out on the blessings that God wants to pour out over and above what he's already blessed us with because we're trying to hold on to this. And it doesn't make sense. We're unable to realize the abundance that God is wanting to bring in because we're trying to hold on to the little bitty bit that he says, this is mine. And we refuse to trust him. 
Pastor and author Nelson Searcy says this. He says, I've learned firsthand that I would rather tithe 10% and live with God's supernatural blessing on the other 90% than to have the full 100% in my pocket and operate without God's blessing. So what do you wanna choose? You wanna live under a curse? Or do you wanna live under a blessing? I dare say that, that if I were to go around and, and ask every single person in this room, would you like to see the, the windows of heaven opened up over your life and God to pour out a blessing so great that you couldn't imagine everyone without fail would, would resound yes. And there's a way for us to make that happen. And what God's talking about, he's saying that you can live in, in plenty, in overabundance, having more than you even need. God's saying you're not gonna have a problem being generous and, and giving to others that are in need. It means that what God's trying to do here, he's trying to set us up so that we can pattern our lives after him to be a generous giver. I mean, think about it. John three sixteen. you know it. For God so loved the world that he gave right there. God gave. That's who he is. It's his very character. He gave his one and only son, his most prized possession, so that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And so we give not out of obligation or out of pressure. We give because God is a giver and we want to be like him. That's why we give. But yet some of us will hear this message and we'll see an object lesson like this and we'll leave here and we'll think, you know, that was cute. That was really cool. It's not gonna change anything about us because we're still not convinced. So let me make one more effort to try to convince you. Because as your pastor, I want nothing more than for you to experience the fullness of the blessings of God in your life. This isn't about getting something from you. It's about getting something for you. It's not about me. It's not about the church. It's not about any of that. I'm living this way. I'm already trusting God. I'm not talking about anything that I'm not doing. I'm trusting God in this way and I'm seeing the results in my life. So regardless of how you choose to respond, it's not going to affect me. Because God's got me. He's in control. He's in charge. But I want you to experience that same thing in your life. I want the nations, I want the world, the community around us to look at Christ's walk, to look at its people and say, that's a blessed church. Those are blessed people. They must be doing it right because God is blessing them in ways that we can't even fathom. And then they're gonna come and they're gonna say, hey, how is this happening? And you're gonna be able to say, well, it's because our pastor preached a message and then we were obedient to the word of the Lord. And here's what happened. We can't explain it. We just know that this is what we did and this is what God did. And in Malachi 3, that, that passage that we just read, God says something that he doesn't say anywhere else in scripture. He talks about bringing the tithe into the storehouse and he says, put me to the test in this. Try it. Put me to the test. So we're gonna take him at his word and we're gonna try it. We're gonna put him to the test and we're gonna do a 90-day tithe challenge. So what that means for you is the 90-day tithe challenge would be for, for anybody that would say, I haven't been or I'm not, I'm not currently 
tithing 10% of my income. I'm not returning 10%, the first 10% of my income regularly and consistently to God. If that's you, then you're a candidate for this challenge. Because I, I wanna help you to develop positive habits when it comes to your personal finances. And I wanna help you to get in a position so that you can receive the blessings of the Lord in your life. And, and I believe in this so strongly. Our church believes in this so strongly. I talked about this with the council several months ago and we celebrated and got excited about what God was going to do. We believe in this so strongly. We're so founded on God's word and the promises that are found there that, that anybody that fits that criteria, you, you're not currently, you haven't been, you've never returned the first 10% of your tithe back to God, that if you'll make a commitment with us over the next 90 days to return 10%, the first 10% of your income to God through tithing, if you'll make that commitment then at the end of the 90 days, you'll do that regularly and consistently. At the end of that time, if you would come back to me and say, Pastor Blake, God hasn't proven true to his promises. I have not received his blessings in my life. Then right then and there on the spot, we'll write you a check for 100% of the money that you gave during those 90 days. No questions asked, no catch, no strings, no nothing because we want you to experience the blessings of God in your life. And so I wanna give you an opportunity to step out in faith, knowing that you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. And so if that's you, the way that you can get involved with this challenge is to simply go to our website, thechristwalk.com, and you can click on the give tab at the top of the site, or you can go to thechristwalk.com give. Either one will get you there. You scroll down the page a little bit and right there in the middle, it says, get more info about the 90-day tithe challenge. You'll click on that. It'll take you to a link where you fill out a, just a brief online form. It's gonna collect some information from you, some very basic information. Why are we doing that? Well, because we need to identify who's participating in the challenge because we wanna be able to hold you accountable to it. I wanna be able to encourage you along the way and support you in this effort to provide you with some resources, with some guidance and everything. And if, if, if you'll do that, and then at the end of the 90 days and you come back and say, no, God's word's a lie. It hasn't proven true. I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna push back on you. I'm not gonna pressure you. I'm not gonna ask you any questions. We'll just get out the checkbook and we'll write you a check and hand it right to you for everything that you've given. We'll give it right back. It's not a gimmick, it's simply biblical. Let's put God to the test. If he says to, let's do it. What might happen between now and the end of the year? How might God choose to bless this house and these people if we chose to get things in order in our lives, particularly when it comes to our finances? What have you been believing God for? What have you been asking God for that hasn't, what's he promised you that hasn't happened yet? Could it be that maybe you haven't seen that become a reality in your life because things are simply out of order? What if participating in this challenge can help you get things back in order so that you can get to the place where you can fully realize God's blessing in your life? I can't think of a better way for us to go into 2020 than that right there. I'm excited about that. And I want so desperately for you to experience the same kind of blessing that Sarah and I and so many others like us have experienced because we've chosen to live this way.
I want to leave you with one more promise from God's word today to encourage you. It comes from Jesus himself out of Luke chapter 6, verse 38. And Jesus says, give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount that you get back. Look, this is, what's God, this is what God is saying is his. And if we'll give him this, then the other 90% becomes blessed so much that it's pressed down and that it's shaken together and that it's running, spilling over into our lap. If we'll just trust him and we'll put him first, put his word to the test and sit back and watch it happen as God pours out his blessings on you and on me. Let's pray together. You know, maybe you're here today and you would say, Pastor Blake, not only are my finances not in order, my life is not in order. I've been living a lifestyle of sin. My life is, is not in agreement with God and his word. But today, I wanna take that step of faith. And not only do I wanna get things in order in my financial life, but I wanna get things in order in my spiritual life. I'd like to step into a relationship with God through the work of his son, Jesus Christ. Leave the old way of living behind and step into new life in Jesus. If, if, if that's you this morning, and you would say, I wanna get things in order in my spiritual life and I wanna step into a relationship with my heavenly father. Would you just let me know just by sticking up your hand really quick, just wherever you're at. Is there anybody else? Any other hands? I see that hand. Is there anyone else? All over this house. If that's you this morning, you raised your hand or even if you didn't, You'd like to step into a right relationship with God. I invite you to pray this prayer along with me. Heavenly Father, I admit that I'm a sinner and that I'm lost without you. I believe that Christ died in my place, making a way for us to have a relationship. And I choose to follow Jesus and his way for the rest of my life. Amen. Now, before we leave, I'd like to just pray a prayer of blessing over everyone in this house, everyone watching with us online. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity to be in your house this morning. Lord, I thank you for your word that you've given us, Lord, that, that shows us that we don't have to live under a curse. God, that you're waiting in heaven to, to bestow more blessings on us than we can possibly ask, think, or imagine. So much that we won't even know what to do with it all. Father, I pray that you would help us to live life open-handed, Lord, that we would return that which is rightfully yours back to you, that we would put you first in everything that we do, particularly in the realm of our finances, Lord, that we would step out in faith and obedience to your word. And as we do, Lord, that you would bless us in ways we never thought possible. Lord, I pray that you would help the people of Christ walk to live this way as an example for the world around them and, and that when the nations, when the, when the community looks at us, they would see Christ Walk Church and its people as a people who are blessed. 
And God, for this and for everything that you promised us in your word, Lord, we give you the glory and the honor and the power and the praise. We thank you for all that you're doing in the hearts and lives of your people today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Thank you for joining us. We hope you were inspired by the message. For more information, visit www.thechristwalk.com.